0: Today, we're continuing in our series titled The Servant King, and our scripture reading is Mark 11, 1 through 25. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage at Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. when they came from bethany he was hungry and seeing in the dis- in the distance a fig tree and leaf he went to see if he could find anything on it when he came to it he found nothing but leaves for it was not the season for figs and he said to it may no one ever eat fruit from you again and his disciples heard it and they came to jerusalem And he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers? And the chief priests and the scribes heard it. And were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him, because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. As they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered them, have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart. But believes that what he says will come to pass; it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you: whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And whatever you stand and whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also, who is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses.
1: Why? Well, good morning. Uh, good to be with you. My name is Nate. If I haven't met you yet. Um, So one of the websites I go to, I would probably say two or three times a day, is ESPN.com. And uh, this week, I was searching through ESPN, and uh, there was a story that this past week in South Carolina, law enforcement officials went to an upstate mall, and they confiscated 600 fake championship rings at 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 a store that sells things like that. Um, they, these, these 600 rings included 157 Super Bowl rings, 83 NBA Final rings, 99 World Series rings, and 29 Stanley Cup rings. Uh, the estimated value retail was up to upwards about $15 million. So here they are, this, these championship rings. They look legit. They look authentic. They look real, and yet they're counterfeit. As we continue in our series to the gospel according to Mark, this passage is about something that's counterfeit. Counterfeit spirituality. And Jesus shows up in the passage to show us what true spirituality is, and how we can have it. And so this passage shows us four things about that. It shows us the source of true spirituality, the counterfeit to true spirituality, the gift of true spirituality, and lastly, the community of true spirituality. So let me pray, and we'll get in. Gracious God, uh, we ask that you would take your word and that by Your Spirit, we might simply know You, we might simply walk with You. So give us eyes to see where we are settling for a counterfeit spirituality, and give us grace and power to live out the real thing. Amen. Well, the source, Um, you know, this passage opens and we see Jesus drawing near Jerusalem and you'll notice Jesus is incredibly intentional here. Uh, look with me at verses 2 and 3. And Jesus said to them, the disciples, go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a coal tide on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it, and we'll send it back here immediately. You know, um, This section almost reminds me of uh, when my wife sends me to the grocery store, you know, to get the exact thing in this aisle, not this, not that. Or if you've got kids, you say, kids, get this, not that. It's clear instructions. And so the question is, why is Jesus being so planned out here? Why is he being so intentional? Well, here's why. Around the 5th century, a prophet named Zechariah penned these words, To God's people after they had returned from exile. In Zechariah 9 it says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion! Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem! Behold, your king is coming to you righteous and having salvation as he humbled and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The prophet Zechariah was writing at a very discouraging time for the exiles At that time, but what he said was this: Is someday there is going to be a king that's going to come, and is going to rescue you and put the world right? And this king, his kingdom is going to extend to the end of the earth. And five hundred years later, Jesus says, "I'm the king." that's what he's doing here he knows this word of zechariah he knows the promise and really for the first time in the gospel of mark if you've been with us you know jesus has there's almost been a secret with jesus who is he and yet right here as he enters jerusalem he's saying make no mistake i'm the king in fact this moment in which he enters jerusalem is the start of the Jewish celebration of Passover. Again, it's, it's, this re, it's, it's the Jewish people remembering the moment where they were in, when they were captured and enslaved by Egypt in which God came and rescued them. And right here, Jesus enters and he says, guess what, I'm the king who's come to rescue. Listen, this is the source of true spirituality and when you think about in our current moment culturally, if you were to think about what is being said or what's being illuminated and taught in our cultural moment about where true spirituality is found, I would say that the answer would be this, it would be found in the self. Um, Elizabeth Gilbert's Eat, Pray, Love memoir that spent 178 weeks on the New York Times bestseller list, she writes this, you have every right to cherry-pick in finding peace with God, Take whatever works for you and keep moving. Follow your supreme self and worship at the feet of the God within. Notice it's what Elizabeth is suggesting is if you want true spirituality, you look within. But I want you to see the inverse here. The scriptures teach that all of us, the very core of our being are so riddled with evil and disjointed hearts that we ought not to trust ourselves. And the very notion of this, I mean, let's put it this way. Think about, I'll just put it this way. One of our first um, contemporary poets, Taylor Swift, in her new song, Antihero, she puts it right. She says, it's me, hi, I'm the problem. And when the people in this passage begin to say, Hosanna, when they say, save us, what they're saying is, we can't save ourselves. We need something outside of ourselves to come. And Jesus is asserting that he's the one who's come. So, firstly, you have to understand this passage, the essence of true spirituality, if you want to experience it, it's got to be found outside of yourself. And the source is this king. But secondly, we see the counterfeit Part of spirituality. You know, one of the things about our current moment, why so many people in our culture are looking anywhere else than organized religion, it's, it's why the fastest growing kind of religious identification is the nuns. They, they check the religious, excuse me, the spiritual but not religious box, is because they see individuals or communities who say they believe one thing And yet, then look at how they live, and they live in an entirely different way. They see a lot of people saying the right things, but nothing that produces real change on the inside. And it may surprise you to realize that this is actually exactly what Jesus addresses here in this passage. It's actually what Jesus does first to come, actually, and he judges, so as the passage continues Jesus is heading towards the temple and the passage says he sees a fig tree and he's hungry and the fig tree has a leaf some leaves on it and so he goes to the fig tree expecting to find something to eat and there's nothing there and Jesus curses the tree he says may no one ever eat fruit from you again now this may seem strange But this is not just a random occurrence. Both structurally in the text as well as in the Old Testament, the fig tree is a symbol of Israel's relationship to God. And what Jesus was saying is these people, his people, are like this tree. It looks good on the outside. You may believe all the right things, but their lives we were not producing the fruit that true spirituality would actually produce. They were spiritually busy, but on the inside, there was no life. There was no real life. And Jesus gets to the temple, and look at what happens in verses 15 through 17. And they came to Jerusalem... So what's happening here? Well, the celebration of Passover would bring hundreds of thousands of pilgrimages of, of pilgrims to Jerusalem. And they come from far away, and they couldn't bring the sacrifices necessary. They also had to bring their own currency. And in order to actually practice what the Passover called for, they'd have to purchase animals to be sacrificed, They'd have to make a currency exchange to pay the temple tax, and there wasn't anything wrong with that. The problem that Jesus has is where it's happening. It was happening in the court of the Gentiles. In other words, to to give you a backdrop, when God spoke to David and Solomon to build this temple... He designed it in such a way where actually his presence would be. His very presence promised to be there. And in this temple, there's actually a place set aside for the nations to come, to seek him. And here's the thing, in that present moment, in that day, there were actually four other markets outside the temple where people could go to buy sacrifices and make exchange of currency. But something happened. We don't know historically what, but something happened in which... The leaders decided, hey, maybe let's make this more efficient. Let's put it right here. But they put it right at the spot where the Gentiles could come in, where the nations could come in. And Jesus, to put it lightly, is furious. He says in verse 17, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations. It's interesting, some people thought that when the Messiah, the King, came, he would come to the temple and throw out the Gentiles. But here, what do we see Jesus doing? He is saying, don't you understand the heart of my Father? It is for all peoples. And We have to pause here for a moment and consider a few things, because there's a couple implications. The first is this, if you're not a Christian this morning, if you're exploring the Christian faith, I want you to consider this. Do you see God's heart towards you? The very fact that He would get upset that those who are potentially outside of a relationship to this God would get upset because there isn't space for you to seek Him. Do you see His heart? He's hospitable. He's not indifferent towards you. But secondly, a Christian, let's talk. Uh, Let's be honest for a moment. This is is not an easy passage to read. Let me ask a couple questions. Where is your heart at and where is my heart at in relationship to God? Not so much What are you doing for him? But where is your heart at? You know, one of the things that's dangerous about being active in a local church, which so many of you are in serving, is that the busyness and the service can mask the true condition of our heart. we can, in some respects, say, well, of course I'm doing well. Look at how busy I am. Look at how much I am doing. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with serving. (laughs) I hope no one stops serving after this service, right? But, But the point is there can be a danger to that. We can gloss over and explain away the lack of deep change that actually takes place in a relationship with this God. I mean, but let's put it this way. Some of us, we are prone to anger. Now, others of us, we are prone to being ungenerous with our time and our resources. Some of us are prone to anxiety. Or manipulating others. And here's the question How is God in this present moment presently transforming you? Or perhaps are you just busy serving Him? Again, it's not bad to serve, but the question is where is your heart? One of the other great tests of a heart with God is this, it's not so much when times are going well, but it's also when times are not going well. Um, You know, years ago, there was a father who had to frequently travel and every time he he went away, uh, he would make sure when he returned, he'd bring a gift to his two kids when he got back. And you know, when he would return, it'd be this great celebration. The kids would hug him. He'd give him the gift to be so excited. And this would happen rutu- rutu- excuse me, r- routinely. And uh, one time, he got away, and uh, he didn't have time to buy anything. And he got home, and the kids came up, and they said, where's the gift? He said, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't have time. And they just walked away. What's happened, right? Our relationship to God becomes about the gifts he gives versus the giver. So put it this way, in this present season, maybe it's been really challenging. Maybe there are challenges in your life, difficulties. Maybe there are some things that are not happening. Where's your heart at? Are you inclined to move even towards him when the gifts aren't there? Or do you find yourself pulling away? And then one, one final thought here as you consider our hearts. Where is our heart at for the outsider? Um, what about our hearts in relationship to those who are very different than us? You know, one of the things um, recently in a public religion research poll, it was shown that Americans are more likely to be unhappy if their kids marry someone from a different political party than if they marry someone outside their religion. And do you know what that means? It means the current moment, the water that you and I are drinking of, is this oftentimes political affiliation matters more than a religious identity. In other words, politics has become the new religion. So here's a test for you. Imagine next week, you pull up in the parking lot, you pull into a slot and right next to you is a car parked and someone has a bumper sticker. And it's the bumper sticker of the opposing political party that you support. And it's not only that bumper sticker, it's actually like the main person that supports it. It's like, it's the, you know, it's the enemy, right? Well, let me ask you. What would be your posture towards them? Would you move towards them? Or would you move away from them? Do you understand what's happening here? Or, but let me put it this way. Last week... We, we had a family meeting after the service, and we talked about this renewed commitment to just the neighborhood around the facility. One of the things that the leadership mentioned is you know, one of the reasons why we located here is because we wanted to be a community and witness in word and deed to this, this good news, this good news about Jesus. And here's the question for us as a church is how are we as a community going to be hospitable to those in our neighborhood who come from different walks of life? Let me put it this way. We don't want to simply be a church that is busy. We want to be a church that is shaped by the very heart of God for all peoples. We don't want to be a church that simply makes decisions that are efficient or practical. Again, not that efficiency or practicality is to be neglected, but we want to be a church that is driven by the very heart of God. This is why, I mean, just to put it out there again, um, March 29th that week, we're shutting down city groups for the week, and we're just going to gather here on Wednesday evening just to pray. Because we we recognize, we we want God to move. We want to be a people who are hospitable to all people, knowing that this is God's heart. Listen, um, just confession. If you've walked through the last few minutes of this sermon and you felt convicted, um, I'm with you. All week, have been asking these questions. I'm busy. And yet, this is not a bad thing. This is actually, this means God is at work. It's a moment to turn. And it's also a moment to understand, thirdly, the gift of true spirituality. You know, in verses 20 through 21, Jesus and the disciples pass by the fig tree that he just cursed, and it's withered. It means it's done. And listen, this is an incredible statement because what's happening is that fig tree is what is going to happen to the temple. Uh, We'll see this later on in Mark 13. Uh, Jesus is going to say, not one stone will be left on another. And a few years ago, my wife and I had a chance to go to Israel. We were in Jerusalem. And we're walking around. And I'm not joking you. There are the stones that are still there that are thrown down. From 8070. 70. They have kept them there. And here's the question. Because think about this. The temple... This is the place where you access God. This is the place where heaven and earth meet. This is the place, if you want to be near God, this is where you go. This is where you go for your sacrifices, to be right with God. And if that place is cursed, then, then where do we go? So in John 2, Jesus, talking about this temple, he says this in John two nineteen: destroy this temple... And in three days, I will raise it up. And the Jews, you know, they're like, hey, uh, hold that thought, Jesus. This took like 46 years to get this one up and going. Um, what do you mean three days? And John makes this note. He, he's clear that Jesus was talking about his body. That the temple was a foreshadow. It was pointing to the one who would come, who would actually embody the very presence of, Of God. And not only that, that Jesus would come and he would suffer, that he would die on a cross and make it possible to have a relationship with God. And so let me put it this way if you're not a Christian this morning, this is the access point. It is not what you do for him, it is what he does for you, it is a gift to be received. You don't show up trying to clean yourself up, trying to offer a real spirituality. You come as you are, and he begins a work. You know, um, I I wanna be clear here. This claim by Jesus, when he comes and he is so angry and he throws out and overturns tables, This is a huge moment because Jesus is challenging the authority of the day. We'll see it next week. It gets even darker. But, um, and and what I want to submit to you is this, is if you really encounter Jesus, he's going to offend you. Uh, Put it this way, there's a juxtaposition in the text to how people respond to Jesus and what he just did. It's because what he said was so radical. But look at verse 18. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him. Why? Because he challenged their authority. He challenged the very ground upon which they were building their lives. And that's what Jesus does. But secondly, the other response we see in this passage is those who see Jesus coming on the foal of a donkey and what do they do? They shout, Hosanna. They put their cloaks down. They receive the king. And that's it. Day and night. Those are the two responses. If you really encounter Jesus, those are the responses. All right. lastly, the community of true spirituality. You know, I don't know if you notice this, but actually in this passage, Jesus is actually constructing a new temple. It's there. You may not see it, but it's actually there. But let me put it this way: Paul, the apostle Paul, in his letter to the Ephesians, writing about those who put their faith in Jesus, said this in chapter two in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Do you see what Paul does there? Paul says that the church, these imperfect people who are clinging to Jesus and his perfection and what he's done, they are now the place where I am coming to be present. Is that not an incredible claim? And yet that's what Paul says is absolutely true, and that means practically two things we see in this passage. Firstly, is prayer. Now look at verse 24. Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. You know, at first glance, you might read this and think, uh, God, are you just a big vending machine? And if I come to you and I really believe it, if I name it, if I claim it, then I'll get it. Is that what Jesus is saying? Well, no. We go some other passages to, to work out some of this situation, but let me put it this way. I think the reason why Jesus communicates this so extremely open is because he really wants us to come with every aspect of our life and to talk to him about it. Or let me put it this way. When Jesus was crucified, one of the things that happened in the temple Is that the curtain that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple? The spot at which his presence dwelt, the the spot at which only one time a year the priest could go in, one time a year, it tore from top to bottom, which means, Jesus is saying, you have full access. Come. Come with all of who you are. You know, one of the hymns that I used to sing when I was young was what a friend we have in Jesus. And there's a line where it says, what a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. You know, uh, one final thought. It's noteworthy, last week in our passage, James and John and then blind Bartimaeus, they come to Jesus with requests. And Jesus has f- the same thing to both of them. What do you want me to do for you? Isn't that incredible? Consider this for a moment. What if, could you consider for a moment that that is exactly what Jesus would say to you? What do you want me to do for you? If that's true, how would you live? Do you understand last week, uh, he answered one of those prayers, and then the other one, he's like, you don't know what you're asking. (laughs) Like... I'm not going to answer this the way you're asking because you have no clue what that means. But it means you still come to him. And then lastly, if it's really true that the church is this new temple, this place where God's presence dwells, not only is prayer to be this regular, routinely thing, but it's, it's also marked by forgiveness. Verse 25. Jesus says, And whenever you stand praying... Forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. Just a quick note true spirituality is not an individual sport, it's not golf, okay? It is a, it is a team. And, you know, one of the things that happens at Redeemer City, I know there are oftentimes week after week, there's new faces that come, and we're so glad you're here. But one of the regular conversations um, in the midst of just people coming is, I'm just asking the question like, can you just step in a little bit more? And you know, maybe that means stepping into a city group. Maybe that means finding a place to serve. Maybe that means checking a box, meeting with the pastor. Um, but, But true spirituality is always lived out in community. But then... Notice Jesus is clear. It gets messy, right? Because forgiveness is required. It means when you get in community, people are going to do things and say things that are going to hurt you. And vice versa, you're going to do things and say things and maybe not do things that are going to hurt others. And Jesus says, when you get up to pray, forgive. Just one myth I want to break down here. We actually talked about this at our gospel care roundtable last fall. It was really good. But one of the myths we talked about is forgiveness is not a feeling. Do you know that? This is really important. Forgiveness is not a feeling, forgiveness is a choice. Forgiveness is you saying to the other person, maybe it's in your mind, maybe not outwardly, but saying, the thing you did to me, I am going to absorb the cost. I'm not going to take it out on you. And the only reason you can do that, the reason why the ground of the Christian faith is the gospel is because that's exactly what God has done for you in Christ. Because your horizontal relationship, check this, affects your vertical relationship. So if this is not right, then this is also not right. And that's so important. So so, so think for a moment, like right now, are there situations, are there people who have hurt you? Is there bitterness in your heart growing? Are you replaying things people have done or not done? And what Jesus is saying here is true spirituality works its way out in granting forgiveness. And just to be clear. I know some of you, you have had some deeply hard things and awful things that have been done to you. And I would just submit to you that some of you, it's going to take a lot of time. It's going to take some counseling. It's going to take some work. But I promise you that God is faithful, that He can actually be at work in your heart, restoring that which has been broken. And give you peace. So let me just ask you as we conclude, if if Jesus has come to offer true spirituality, the real thing, what what does this mean for you today? Uh, Some of you this morning, you're not sure what you believe, you're not sure about Jesus, you're still exploring who He is. Can I just encourage you for a moment, one of the things about this passage we didn't talk about, but it is amazing, is Jesus' character. You know, we go back to the beginning of the triumphal entry. Jesus uh, enters in on the foal of a donkey. And what you need to know, in most of the time, kings would not come in on foals. They would come in on war horses. And that says something about Jesus' character that he is humble. Don't mistake him to be a weak king. He's not weak. He is asserting that he's the king, but he's humble and he's come to serve you. There's no one else you can give your life to that can do that, that is like that. It's always one or the other. Jesus possesses both. Do You see how beautiful that is? Others of us, you know, this morning, uh, uh, maybe like me, you've been, been convicted, you're actively serving, but if you're honest, you feel the gap between who you are and who you're called to be. And I would just encourage you this morning, one of the, one of the, the wise things the pastor said a number of years ago is this, is for every one look at yourself, take ten looks at Christ, in other words, don't be navel-gazing at yourself, but get your eyes out. He will meet you with his strength, with his grace, with his presence. He is faithful. And then lastly, Remer City, think about it this way. If you're that new temple, do you know what that means? All week, wherever you are, Do you understand, there are people around you who are hurting, who are looking for spirituality, and if it's true what Jesus said and what Paul said is true, it means because the Spirit of God dwells in you, they can have access to God because you know the one who has come and lived and died and risen again, and therefore, you can meet them right where they are. Let's pray. Father in heaven, um, we thank you today for just the gift of your son. Thank you that you meet us where we are with grace and mercy. And Lord, we just pray today that the deep work that you are doing, we pray that you would continue to work out in our lives. Lord, just pray for Redeemer City that you would shape us as a community to be hospitable, to be shaped by your heart for all peoples. And that because of that, many, many people would encounter you. And we pray this in Christ's name.